1: Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for being with us again this week for our Pro Football Weekly Chicago podcast. It is great to be with you. I'm Hub Arkish, the executive editor at PFW, along with our senior editor and Bears beat reporter, Bob Laguerre. We're actually coming to you from Hallis Hall again this week, middle of the week. Just got done visiting with head coach Matt Nagy, quarterback Miss Trubisky, open locker room. The guys all in a good mood, Bob. Kind of fun to be around a winning football team for a change here in Chicago.
0: Yeah, a team that's got a legitimate uh, playoff shot for the first time in five years. A team that's 5-3 uh, and three in, in first place in the NFC North critical 11-day stretch coming up with the Lions twice and the Vikings in between, and uh, the Bears could come out of this in the driver's seat in the NFC North, or they could come out of it uh, on the outside
1: looking in. We're going to dig into this pretty deep, but before we do, I just want to tell everybody if you do not have our Pro Football Weekly app on your smartphones right now, get access to the must-have source for NFL analysis, tape breakdowns, draft profiles, news, and more in our Pro Football Weekly app. You can get it in the App Store for iOS users, Google Play for Android users, or a profootballweekly.com slash app. And as we look at this football team, Bob, one of the hot conversations, uh, I'm probably going to ruin my column because I'm writing about this today too, but I I think we've gotten to the point where you have to have this conversation. Some of the national coverage is suggesting that maybe uh, this team is more a product of the schedule than than, than being a good football team. I think that's a little short-sighted, but on the other hand, it is hard to ignore that the five wins are... Cupcakes. They've got a combined record of fourteen and twenty-eight. The three losses are to the only things resembling winning teams on the schedule. I don't know that Miami scares you all that much. The Packers aren't a winning team right now. And of course the Patriots. So you know, where do you draw the line on this as you look at it? I I think they're a good football team, but they've got to beat a good football team before we can start taking them too seriously and talking about playoffs and playoff wins and things like that. Yeah, you can only play
0: the teams on your schedule, and the encouraging thing is that even in the long losses, though they were to good teams and they haven't beaten a real quality team maybe yet, they they were in those games. They were winnable games. A lot of people would argue they should have won two out of three of those games. So, you know, you, you, you can look at every team and say that. You could say the Bears could be 7-1. You could also say they could be 3-5. and five. So... Um, uh, The thing that I'm encouraged by is that they continue to get better, and I think on both sides of the ball. Sometimes the progress on offense isn't as noticeable because if you look at last week's game, they had 190 total yards I don't know how many teams in the history of the NFL have won games by 32 points with 190 total yards. But they did take advantage of their opportunities. Their drives, if you want to call them drives, were 23, 37, and 50 yards. The 50-yarder included a 43-yard pass interference penalty. So they were opportunistic, if not very productive. And I think the defense only gets better this week with the expected return
1: of Khalil Mack. You know, it's funny because where you just went for me is exactly where the conversation does get so interesting. I am a big believer in you are what your record says you are. So you can argue 7 and 1 all you want. You can argue 3 and 5. They're a 5 and 3 football team they deserve to be. That's good enough for the first place in the, in the NFC North and we should take them seriously. But then when you start you know, talking about how they've gotten there and you look at Buffalo, which was easily the best defense they've seen, certainly you know, since maybe Seattle that didn't play all that badly, but even they're not the team that they once were, the offense had its worst day of the season. It was good enough to win because the defense was so dominant. Uh, And as you say, they were opportunistic. But I think this is where these questions start to come from. I I think the one thing that is a complete puzzle to me is that they have one of the top five running games in the NFL, and the running game isn't very good. (laughs) So if if your format is going to be play defense and run the football, that is an area where they have to get better. And, And you think maybe it could start this week against Detroit, which even though they made the big trade for Snacks Harrison, has really struggled against the run that. Yeah. Yeah, 31st I think in rushing yards allowed, 32nd in average game
0: per rush. Uh, Snacks Harrison definitely helps. He's a run clogger. Um, He's a massive man. He's tough to move when he's motivated as Matt Nagy made the point. Um, But the the Bears rushing standing is misleading. Uh, They're top five in rushing yards, but if you take away Mitch Trubisky's 306 yards or whatever it is and his eight yards per carry, it's a very mediocre rushing attack. I don't think he can continue to rely on Mitch Trubisky. I think that's an unsustainable uh, game plan to have him run that often and not get hurt. So clearly they need more from Jordan Howard, who scored twice last week, which is great, but still only averaged 3.4 yards a carry.
1: Yeah, and and, you know the the puzzle goes on. You and I have gone back and forth about this. I thought that Howard looked to be running as hard last Sunday as he has all year long on on all of his carries, Uh, uh, not just the big eighteen yard touchdown run where he ran over Jordan Poyer, who's a pretty good football player in that secondary for Buffalo. Um, And so you know, kept going back looking at the tape. He had fourteen carries. On nine of those carries, he was met at the line or behind the line of scrimmage, And, and so. Um, that doesn't make Jordan Howard innocent of you know, some responsibility for the lack of production, but it, it clearly points out that it's not being blocked all that well. Now, some of that's understandable when we remember that last week you were making a big change in the offensive line. I don't think they've really figured out yet what's going to happen at these offensive guard positions. I mean, you know it's going to be some combination of the rookie James Daniels, the veteran Eric Cush, and the, the recent addition in Brian Witzman, and Daniels is going to be in that mix. I think we know that for sure. But but they're still trying to figure out, you know, what this line is going to look like. What troubled me Sunday is that, you know, Charles Leno had arguably his worst game of the season. Bobby Massey wasn't awful, but he made some mistakes. They, they just are not gelling as a unit you can count on every week. Yeah, and until they decide the situation at guard, I don't think they
0: will gel as a unit. No quality team alternates guards on, on every series. They did it for a while with James Daniels and Cush, and it was beneficial because you got James Daniels ready to become a full-time starter, which he now apparently is. Um, they continued the the job share at right guard, though, with Cush and Brian Witzman, and clearly, if they were thrilled with one guy, that wouldn't be ongoing. And, and they have not decided yet that they've said to come off that. They're going to continue to do it, wait for somebody to step up. I got a feeling Um, they're going to wait a long time because I don't know that anybody's going to step up and show you that he's a quality NFL starter week in and week out. I think you've got two pretty good players – both of them are ideally your swing guards on a quality offensive line. One of them's going to have to start, and I think they're going to have to make that decision sooner rather than later to get any sense of continuity
1: on this line. You know, what makes the puzzle so interesting, is you point out, it was Cush and Witzman uh, kind of uh, trading off last week. But I think that was more because of Cush coming off the neck injury and Whitman only being here for two weeks than necessarily that they've established that Daniels is the best of the three. Now, Daniels is here to stay. He's your Second round pick, he was drafted to be one of those positions, so he is certainly going to get the benefit of the doubt. But I think that they're even still not that far right now, trying to figure out which two of these three guys give us the best chance to play the best football. I, I think they want Daniels to be one of them, but right now they're still trying to develop all three of these guys. Yeah,
0: and it, it, you know, if you had to win one game, it would it shock you if they started Whitman and Cush? I don't think it would shock me. I don't think they've decided. Clearly, Daniels has more upside, and maybe in Game 16 or Game 15, he's going to be the best guard on the roster, Uh, but at this point, he isn't. They like where he's going. They realize he's just barely 21 years old, and he will get better, and he will be uh, uh, one of the foundations of this offensive line going forward. He's not there yet, and I think you've got to start with that. You've got to solidify that situation one way or the other, because as you said. Uh, Bobby Massey, not a tremendous player. Um, Probably a guy you can win with, though. They've shown so far that they can do that. Charles Leno, I think, is a little bit Underrated by some people, um, he's never going to go to a Pro Bowl, but I think you can live with him. Um, but they got to get that interior offensive line set because they've got a quality center in Cody Whitehair, and you know he downplays the whole playing next to different guys every week, but but clearly it's a factor in in how he uh, handles blocking assignments and how he works in conjunction with the two
1: guards next to him. You know, Bob, I think the good news you don't hear a lot about centers in the NFL. It's certainly not a glamour position, but Cody Whitehair is playing at a pretty high level. You know, there was some concern. He was an all-rookie center two years ago, was not drafted to play there, was drafted to play guard, moved over in an emergency situation when Aronis Grissoux tore his ACL in training camp. But then last year, bouncing back and forth from center to guard, didn't really play either position particularly well. Put back at center and left there this year. You understand now, at least in part, why the Bears did it, because he is playing at a very high level. It still puzzles me. Apparently the Bears thought that James Daniels was the best guard prospect in the board when they drafted him, because as soon as they got him in, in in the summer and then in camp, they said, we're going to use him at guard first before center. I didn't understand that, because according to Pro Football Weekly, he was the best center prospect in the draft. We weren't really even grading him as a potential guard. Uh, but, but that aside, for now, the point is, Cody Whitehair has kind of been the saving grace for this offensive line. He's been their most consistent offensive lineman. He didn't make some of the big plays that Kyle Long did in how Long is a huge loss, but Whitehair playing very well for him.
0: Yeah, I don't think... uh, I think that was a head-scratcher all around when they said right off the bat James Daniels was going to be tried first at guard because he was listed at 295. There's maybe one other starting guard in the NFL who's under 300 pounds. Uh, He does have uh, excellent strength for a guy 295, but the thing that clinched it for me and made me buy in was that Harry Hestand signed off on it, one of the most respected O-line coaches in the country in the NFL now prior to that at Notre Dame. And if He stand thinks she can make a guard out of the guy. I'm willing to go along with that.
1: All right, Bob, we're going to take a look at the defense and get in the Lions game a little bit as well. Before we do, we're just going to take a quick break here to hear from one of our sponsors.
0: With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Welcome back to our Pro Football Weekly Chicago podcast. Bob Laguerre here. I'm Hub Barkish. And before we get back into our Bears talk, just want to remind you one more time to get access to the must-have source for NFL analysis, tape breakdowns, draft profiles, news, and more. Get the Pro Football Weekly app. You can get it in the App Store for iOS users, Google Play for Android users, or at profootballweekly.com slash app. You know, looking at the defense, Bob, they're obviously playing at a very high level. I don't care how bad Buff Buffalo's offense is. When you have a dominant game like that, you're one of the better units in the league. And what was so impressive to me Sunday, again, The front seven looks good. Roquan Smith had easily his best game as a pro. You saw why he was the eighth pick overall in the draft. But Kyle Fuller just is jumping off the screen at you at this point. He is playing as well as any cornerback in the league right now. He's obviously gained great confidence. He's doing it with physicality, with great coverage skills. And now showing the ball skills that some people doubted that he had, particularly when that interception in Green Bay got away from him, that that one play that clearly did impact the Bears' record a little bit this year.
0: Yeah, if Kyle Fuller's not a Pro Bowl candidate, I don't know who is. Uh, Other than Khalil Mack, he was I'd say he's probably the second most valuable member of that defense. Maybe the most valuable defensive player since Mack has been out for a couple games and was ineffective in two games before that. Uh, Kyle Fuller's tied for the NFL lead in interceptions with four. Uh, All four have come in the last four or five games so I know he's number one in the NFL over that span but he's always been a guy who would support the run uh, he didn't, he went for a couple of years without having uh, a great interception total after getting four as a rookie and then he missed a 2016 season with a, an injury that still is kind of questionable and remains unexplained it was an arthroscopic procedure in the preseason that sidelined him for the entire year and uh, I don't know that anyone ever got a, a legitimate explanation on why a scope kept the guy out for an entire season a lot of people questioned his toughness and his commitment and his desire I think he's uh, answered all those questions positively and is playing as well as anybody in their secondary and as well as anybody on that
1: defense the last three weeks yeah I think the ultimate compliment is a couple of years ago none of us understood it and a lot of fans wanted him gone because of it I don't think they remember it now <laughs> that's how well he's playing so very impressive uh, Eddie Jackson had probably his best game as a bear I know he had the two scores against Baltimore last year, but just in terms of playing the position uh, completely. Uh, Akeem Hicks, uh, again, if he's not a pro bowler, they shouldn't They shouldn't pick the team. I mean, he just he dominates the line of scrimmage uh, in significant stretches. Danny Trevathan's playing at a very high level. You just have to feel good about this defense. The, the puzzle that continues for everybody is Leonard Floyd. He did not get to the quarterback again Sunday. He clearly has to start getting there, or you're going to have an issue with that pick. But he did play a pretty good football game. He was very aggressive against the run early. You know, the interception return for the touchdown is nice, but that's the right place at the right time as much as anything else. But what is intriguing about him is remember how raw he was when he got here and he is in the right place at the right time, almost all the time now, and he is very active. He just is not finishing as a pass rusher. I, I think he's
0: getting close. He, I think he had three quarterback hits and that's, you know, close doesn't cut it all the time, but I think he's showing signs. And all year long coaches have, have hammered us with the fact that he's doing a great job in coverage, he's doing a great job in run support. And I think last week was, for me, the first time I really saw evidence of that. He's shown it in flashes uh, previously and the further he gets away from that broken hand, I think the better he's going to be. I don't know that it's 100% right now. I don't know that it will be this year, but it's pretty close and I think he's on the verge. I think you know. I don't know that he's going to break out with three sacks in a game, but um, he's gone, I think... Uh, nine games now or ten games going back to last year without a sack. By far the longest drought he's had in his NFL career. Um, I think that ends, if not this week, then very soon.
1: All right, Detroit Lions coming in Sunday, Bob, and it's not just only the Bears' second division game of the season in Week 10, it's five of the last eight, it's three division games in the next 12 days, and, and the bottom line is that everybody in the division is within two games of each other. As a matter of fact, the, uh, the Vikings just percentage points behind the Bears, they're going to play each other twice, so that'll settle that. Um, the Bears' schedule doesn't get that much more difficult in the second half, but the Lions, and bottom line, they've taken nine of the last ten from the Bears. Every one of them has been close, almost all one-score games, uh, but the Bears have struggled to beat them. A lot of that is Matt Stafford. Lions a little bit of a puzzle at 3-5 and five because they haven't played nearly as well as the Bears, but who are their three victories over? the three teams that beat the Bears and so minimally you know this is a competitive football game but it's tough for me to get my arms around because you turn on the Lions tape and 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 there certainly are most places I would give the Bears edge in matchups well that's a huge question if the
0: Lions truly are a three and five team and are as bad as they've looked the last two weeks in double digit losses then the Bears schedule down the stretch is easy if they're the same team that beat the Patriots by 16 points and the Bears have to play them two more times and the Vikings two more times and the Rams, then the second half schedule is extremely difficult. So a lot of what the Bears do in the second half of the season depends on what kind of Lions team they're going to see Sunday and then 11 days later.
1: You know, it's funny because media takes a view of this and we have to analyze what's in front of us. We have to point out when the schedule's tough, when it's not tough, when players are playing hurt, when players aren't playing well, even if the stats suggest they are. Fans have their own approach to it we don 't know how players look at this, and they don 't look at it as a group each they 're different too. You know Some of them are aware of the quality of opponents, some of them aren 't paying any attention. but I really wonder what the, the, the majority of this Bears roster's mindset is heading into this game because when we hear all this talk about we don't think about anything but Sunday, it's only one game at a time ideally that's what you want them to focus on but the, but, the, but the thought that everything else is wiped out of their minds just isn't true I think that the Bears have to realize that this is in some respects a defining game for them. If they get this one, they can afford a stumble in the next two. If they don't get this one, then everybody's going to start to question just how good are they and then they've got a tougher trip because they've got the Vikings on Sunday night and then literally three and a half days later the Lions. So in some respects, I don't want to call it must win, but this is the biggest of these next three games for them.
0: Yeah, and, and players would tell you that this is the biggest game because it's the next game. Mm-hmm. Um, and Matt Nagy told us on Monday, you will never hear the word playoffs from me. I assume that means until they're actually in the playoffs. But when you ask players, if you're a player who's been here, for the last two years, and and even longer than that, in, in the case of some people like Sherrick McManus, and you've uh, lived through the drought that has been this Bears team in four straight NFC North uh, last place finishes, You, how can you not think playoffs at 5-3 and three and being in first place in the NFC North? Maybe it's in the back of their mind, and that's fine. Yeah, they're focused on the Lions, but I think at somewhere, at some time, they're thinking, we're a playoff team, it's in our grasp, we control our destiny, and if we play the same way, if they go 5-3 and three in the second half, you've got to imagine that they're going to be in the playoffs, and I don't know that they're going to get a first-round bye. I don't think that's realistic, but they've got a legitimate shot at it for the first time in a long time.
1: You know, the Bears' one win in the last 10 was in Soldier Field a couple of years ago, 17-14. The defense won it for them in large part because Matt Stafford was awful, but Lions quarterback Matt Stafford has also been solely responsible for some of those nine wins. He is obviously, he's a nine-year vet, well ahead of Mitch Trubisky in terms of he has proven that he can put a team on his back and go out and win big games, must win games. That's the next step for Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky is doing some things well, some things he's still struggling with, but he's not at the point yet uh, where he can get to that game and go out and get it for you. You know, you could even argue that Patrick Mahomes isn't there yet, because as remarkable as he's been, that one loss was in New England. It wasn't his fault, but but this is what you look for in these quarterbacks, and so at the end of the day, we can do all the one-on-one match. Match-ups we want to, but this one probably comes down to, can the Bears defense see to it that Matt Stafford doesn't beat them? Yeah,
0: and you would think if the Bears watched the uh, Lions game against the Vikings last week, last week they've got to be confident because the Vikings sacked Matt Stafford 10 times. He was running for his life. He dropped back the pass 51 times and was only able to get 36 passes off because he was sacked 10 times and ran for his life five other times. So if... If uh, Matthew Stafford comes in a little bit gun-shy and a little bit shell-shocked, you know that would be uh, understandable. I think, it, based on his history against the Bears, I don't expect that from him. He's a veteran guy. It's not the first time he's been sacked a bunch of times. But prior to that Vikings game, he had been the least hit quarterback in the NFL, sacked only 13 times in the first seven games. All that went out the window last week. Whether the Lions can uh, can right the ship and, and get back on the track,
1: they run as far as protecting Matthew Stafford. That, I think, is the key to Sunday's game. Well, and that's the mystery to me, Bob, because when, on paper, the Lions should have the best offensive line in the NFL. It is the Vikings' biggest weakness. We, as we've discussed, it is a potential weakness for the Bears. It's the Packers' weakness right now. The interior of their offensive line hasn't played very well. They can't run the ball. You look at this Lions' line. Taylor Decker was looking like one of the next really good left tackles when he drafted, and he's battled injuries and tried to come back. Big free agent signings in, in, in T.J. Lang and Ricky Wagner and then they use a first round pick on Frank Ragnow and this kid was playing really well early in the season and yet as you say they came apart last Sunday in Minnesota the Bears defensive front has played excellently all year long not just Akeem Hicks but Eddie Goldman has vastly improved I think Roy Robertson Harris uh, has been an epiphany of sorts and Bilal Nichols was really coming on until the knee injury Uh, and so you know once you move past Stafford that's probably the key matchup in this game.
0: Yeah, I think uh, Eddie Goldman, especially last week, was extremely disruptive. Getting Bilal Nichols back helped. His injury came at a bad time because he had been, in his last three or four games, uh, not a dominant force but a legitimate force on that defensive line to the point where he was a key key guy in that rotation on the defensive line. He had uh, taken snaps from Roy Robertson-Harris and from uh, Jonathan Bullard and was playing more than both of those guys. I don't know how much a week off is going to set him back, but... uh he, he was a key addition. He was making that defensive line even better. And they need a third guy. Goldman and Akeem Hicks are very solid, but they need a third guy, and it hasn't been Jonathan Bullard. And Roy Robertson-Harris has flashed, but
1: not done it on a consistent basis. So one more thing before we have to go, and, and I guess you could say we buried the lead here a little bit, but people listen to the podcast throughout the week. Uh, on Wednesday at Hallis Hall, uh, Matt Nagy, I think, surprised the media a little bit when he started out his press conference by announcing that that they expected everybody back for practice this week, including tight end Adam Shaheen, who potentially could be ready to come off the injured reserve list. But what Nagy said was they hoped to have Khalil Mack Allen Robinson, uh, Adam Shaheen, Bilal Nichols, Ben Broniker. I think I've got everybody, uh, you know, back at practice. Now, whether that happened and they went full speed or not remains to be seen. But to me, Bob, this speaks to the question of are the Bears for real or not? Because what we, we we have to add to the conversation is they've gotten to 5-3 and, and 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 snapped a two-game loss streak and gotten back on track without clearly their best defensive player in Mack, who, who is a, an MVP candidate, And I think maybe their best offensive player in Allen Robinson. And then you add what Shaheen can do for that offense that struggles a little bit, and and the way Nichols was playing on defense. If they get all those guys back and they can stay at full speed, then then I'm on board. Then I'm going to say these Bears are for real a legitimate playoff contender. Um, But without them, it leaves question marks at too many positions, and they still have something to prove. And so it should be a lot of fun to see if those guys are all on the field Sunday against the Lions. Yeah, it's encouraging though that um,
0: when the injury bug finally did hit. Uh, They weren't devastated by injuries, but it was the most significant injuries they have seen all year. They won two straight games. When you can win those games, granted against inferior opponents, but you win those games without some of your best players, that's a good sign for the future going forward. Especially if by resting them, you get them back at 100% for the last eight games.
1: Alright, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Pro Football Weekly Chicago. Let me remind you one more time, if you want everything you need to know about the Chicago Bears 24-7. Get our Pro Football Weekly app downloaded on that smartphone. We really appreciate all of you guys for listening so much this week. It's fun bringing this to you. Hopefully the Bears have a big one on Sunday. We'll be back to visit with you again next week.